On that order, order of worship on the end, there's a Connect card. and It's just a, a chance for us to know. Just take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. And as you do, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this time of worship. You are alone worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And we're thankful for the truth of these songs that we have sang, how good and powerful you are and that we can trust in you. And we thank you for your word and pray that now your spirit would take it and illuminate it for us. Speak to our hearts. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And equip us to go out and to share the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So last week we talked about how Jesus used parables to explain principles of God's kingdom. Well, today we see that Jesus used miracles to demonstrate the power of God's kingdom. Think of miracles like road signs. Okay, When you've got a destination, you're traveling somewhere, we need road signs to tell us where we're going, how to get there, to, to warn us about things along the way. But the road signs themselves are not the point of the trip, are they? We don't travel to look at road signs. They help us to get where we're going. Jesus' miracles were like that. They weren't the point. They're not why Jesus came, but they point us in the direction of God's kingdom, His present yet coming kingdom. That is our destination. And in the two miracles we're going to look at today, Jesus demonstrated His power and His authority over the natural world and over the spiritual world. And Jesus used these miracles, these road signs, to point us to the kingdom's power to deliver us. At least two things. First, in the first miracle, we see that Jesus' kingdom power can deliver us from danger. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day when evening came. Now remember where Jesus has been. If you look back at verse 1, there in chapter 4, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. If you remember that from last week, the crowd that gathered around him was so large he got into the boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore of the water's edge. And Jesus has spent the whole day teaching from this boat. Now Mark just gives us four parables, but I'm sure in that day Jesus said a lot more. And so he spent all day talking and it's got to be that evening. And it says in verse 35 that when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind... They took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern in the back, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, the Sea of Galilee lies about 700 feet below sea level, and some of the the mountains around it reach almost that high above sea level. So the Sea of Galilee is really in a bowl. And what would often happen is the wind, the cold wind off, off the Mediterranean would come up over those mountains and settle down into this bowl with this warm, moist water. So 
you can imagine that cold and warm, moist air would often interact and cause these very furious storms. The Greek word there for squall can mean hurricane. These storms would violently erupt out of nowhere. Now, we know at least four of these disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they've spent their lives fishing on this sea of Galilee, this lake in essence. It's just a big lake. They knew this well. They had experienced many of these storms. So for these professional fishermen to be so panicked, this must have been a fierce storm. They knew this was serious. They were in danger. Take a moment right now and think about the kind of dangers that we might face in our lives. Those sudden, unexpected crises that erupt. They come up out of nowhere. We can't really prepare for them. We can't really plan for them. We like to think that we can. We like to think that we're ready to face whatever it is. But sometimes when those storms come out of nowhere, we realize we're out of control. There's nothing we can do to stop it. Nothing we can do to change it. Imagine that kind of a a moment of danger. And now imagine what it would be like to cry out to Jesus in that moment and to have Him step in immediately and rescue you from the danger. That's what Jesus did for these men. And Jesus still has the power today to be with us and to help us through times of danger. And we can trust that. We can trust that Jesus today can deliver us from danger because of three things. First, we see in this story, all three of these, first we see it's His promise. His promise. There in verse 35, Jesus gave the disciples a word of certainty. He said, let us go to the other side of the lake. Jesus had an appointment over there. Jesus was going to the other side of the lake and He was bringing them with Him. This was a word of certainty. Now, there are a few things that are certain in this life, right? Benjamin Franklin famously said, the only two things are certain are death and taxes. We can agree with that. But I think there there are a few more certainties in life than just those two. But one thing that is certain is that when Jesus calls us to go, He will ensure we get where we're going. When God gives you a task to do, He will equip and empower you to do it. Amen? That is a certainty. And the Bible is filled with God's promises to His people. His promise to forgive our sins if we confess and repent. His promise to hear our prayers when we pray in faith. His promise to meet our needs when we seek first His kingdom. His promise to never leave nor forsake us no matter how tough the going gets. His promise that while we will have trouble in this world, Jesus promises that in John's Gospel. We will have trouble in this world. But He says, take heart. I've overcome this troubling world. Have peace. Be encouraged that I've overcome it all. We have His promise. Secondly, we have His presence. And really, Jesus' presence is the promise. That's the ultimate promise. Jesus promised them that they would make it to the other side of the lake, not because there wasn't going to be a storm, but because He was with them. That was the promise. He was with them. Now, they forgot this because Jesus was asleep on this cushion in the back of the boat. Can you imagine that? Jesus asleep on this cushion in the midst of this life-threatening storm. The boat's about to capsize. The wind's about to to, to flood it with all of these waves. And Jesus wasn't bothered by it. He was asleep. 
Now, you know, for sure Jesus was exhausted, right? He's been in this boat teaching all day. You know, there, the boat rocking on the water, talking out loud over this crowd. He's exhausted. But this is a moment of crisis. This is a matter of life or death. The disciples were afraid. But Jesus was not. He just kept on sleeping because he had faith enough to sleep through the storm. Now, I don't. Uh, you can ask Julia, I do not sleep through storms. So last night, that storm was about to come through about 11.30, so I stayed up on my phone reading. So the storm came, it went, then I could go to sleep. That, that's just me. But not Jesus. Jesus slept through the storm because he was confident that his Father was completely in control. Now, the disciples interpreted this to mean that Jesus didn't care about them. Now, people still do this today. We confuse worry and anxiety with care, right? And we get all worried and worked up like the disciples, and we're like, you just have to do something. You've got to do something. And if you're not worried and worked up and doing something, whether it's helpful or not, people interpret that as your lack of care. You don't care. Nor is it true that because you have faith, and you trust in God, and you're confident in Him, and you're praying in Him, that doesn't mean you don't care. That doesn't mean you don't care. The disciples were fretting about something that was out of their control. But Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. He could rest in God's care. Now, earlier in this chapter, that morning, as Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower and the soils, Jesus warns us about letting the worries of this life choke out God's work and word in our lives. He talked about this that morning. And here that evening the disciples are, and what are they doing? They're letting worry choke out their faith in God. They're choked with worry. Now, I wonder if Peter maybe had this and the other moment where he's walking on the waves. You know, Jesus calls him out. He walks on the water, and, and he sees the storm around him, and he sings. I think Jesus probably had both of these episodes in mind when he later wrote our New Testament reading this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Eventually, Peter got it. Eventually, he came to understand that it's because God cares about us that we don't have to be anxious or worry. Like Jesus, we can rest in His loving care. But to do that takes humility. It takes submission. It takes coming under God's mighty hand. See, the real storms that Jesus rebuked and calmed weren't the storms out over the water. It was the storms inside the disciples' hearts. The storms of prideful self-reliance and faithless worry. And those storms are far greater than any storm out there we can ever face. Which is why James wrote, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, it's that inner storm of doubt that's the most dangerous for us. Now, when Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith, it wasn't because they failed to prevent or stop the storm. Scripture never promises that if we have enough faith, we can evade or eradicate life's storms. In fact, these men were in this dangerous storm because they were with Jesus. It's because they followed Jesus and went across the lake that they were in this storm. No, the reason Jesus rebuked them was because they failed to grasp His promise that they were going to the other side. They failed to grasp that His presence with them in the boat meant they did not need to fear. 
like our Old Testament passage in Isaiah 43, beautifully reminds us that when we pass through the waters, He is with us. The waves will not overcome us. He has redeemed us. We are His. We don't need to fear. But they had let the uncertainty of their circumstances cloud their sight. They looked around and saw danger. They looked inside and saw fear. But they failed to look up and see Jesus. As the church, we cannot forget Jesus' promise. We cannot forget His presence. And thirdly, we cannot forget His power. Now, Jesus' disciples were rarely the recipients of His miraculous power. But when they cried out to Jesus for help, He responded immediately and powerfully. We can trust that Jesus is able to handle any problem, any storm, any difficulty that we may face. Jesus doesn't promise to keep the danger away, but He promises that He will strengthen us and encourage us and empower us to get through the storms of life. As Paul told Timothy, that is why I'm suffering as I am. He says, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I've believed and I'm confident that He is able to guard what I've entrusted to Him against that day. When the disciples experienced this awesome power of Jesus, they were terrified. The Greek says they literally feared a great fear. Before they had feared the wind and the waves, now they fear the one who has power over the wind and the waves. Now that idea might seem strange. Fearing, They're afraid of the wind and the waves, now they're afraid of Jesus who calmed the wind and the waves? How does that work? Well, it kind of reminds me, bear with me, it kind of reminds me of that scene at the end of Jurassic Park. You ever seen Jurassic Park, right? Early in the movie, they come up, kind of the, the big, first big bad dinosaur they come up against is the T-Rex, right? And it's chasing them. You know, they're in the Jeep driving, and the mirror says, you know, warning, objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear, right? Real comforting. Well, then after that, it's the velociraptors that are really bad, right? And they're just running away from velociraptors. Try not to get eaten by the velociraptors. And they're at the end of the movie. They're, they're inside. They're surrounded by velociraptors. It seems like all hope is lost. And then in comes the T-Rex. And we cheer for the T-Rex because he fights off the velociraptors and saves the day. Listen, there are things in this life that we fear because they seek us harm. But there's a God who is greater than them that we also fear, who can step in and rescue us. Oswald Chambers put it this way, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Our God is good, but He is holy. He is powerful. He is a consuming fire. He is the Lion of Judah. And when we're standing with Him, we need fear nothing else. Jesus promises to see us through whatever we face. He promises to be with you every step of the way and His power and authority are available not only to calm the storms out there, but to calm the storms in here and to bring you real lasting peace. And so this next miracle kind of turns from the outer storms of the natural world to these inner storms of the spiritual world. There's a specific kind of danger that Jesus can deliver us from. And that is from demonic danger. Jesus can deliver us from the demonic. Now I'm going to read through this story straight through and then we'll come back and we'll look at it. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, no one 
was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus has come across the lake and now He's in a Gentile region, which is why there's this pig industry that's there. You know, pigs were about as as unclean and, and shocking to the Jewish mindset as was nakedness and tombs. So you can imagine this was like a, you know, an unholy trinity for the disciples right here. They were shocked at where they were. But this revealed something to them about Jesus, that His power is not only effective in the promised land with the Jews, nor on the raging seas against a storm, but even here deep in godless Gentile territory filled with unclean pig herds, tombs filled with death, and crazy demon-possessed naked men. Jesus' power worked there too. It didn't matter how fierce or tenacious the situation. Now I want you to notice the order of events. Jesus and His disciples step off the boat. They meet this crazed naked man. And Jesus instantly recognizes the demonic influence and He calls for the demons to depart. But before they do, they cry out in fear. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And the man began to beg Jesus not to torture him. Now, how much is this the man saying these things or the demon saying these things? It's hard to say, but either way, we meet someone who fears Jesus as the disciples came to do because of his power and his authority. I want you to listen. There are demonic powers at work in this world today. We must never discount how hard Satan is at work in our world around us. He's at war right now, destroying nations and communities and families. He wants everyone to suffer and spend eternity with Him in hell. And those who are saved and belong to God already, He wants to ruin our reputation, He wants to destroy our witness, and He wants to rob us of the joy and the peace and the power that is ours in Christ. 
Remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And of course, Satan did. He worked hard on Peter. We know that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I think that's why Peter could write in our New Testament reading this morning. He went on to say, Be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he's doing that today. But Jesus can deliver us from that roaring lion. And he does it in a number of ways. First, we see that he turns fear into faith. He turns fear into faith. Satan sows seeds of doubt in our minds. He doesn't want us to fear the Lord. He wants us to be afraid of the Lord. And there's a big difference there. We saw in, in verse 17, there's lots of fear in this passage, right? First, the disciples are feared of the storm, afraid of the storm. Then they fear the Lord. We meet this demon-possessed man. He's afraid of Jesus. The people at the end of the story are afraid. And they're so afraid they reject Jesus and ask Him to leave. See, there are two kinds of fear of the Lord. There's the kind of fear of the Lord that makes you reject God, and there's a fear of the Lord that makes you revere God. And that's what Jesus brings to us. Maybe you've encountered someone who was afraid of Jesus, who distrusted God and the Bible and the church. Maybe you yourself have wondered like this man, Jesus, what do you want with me? We can fear Radical change, even if it's change for our good, because change is painful, amen? I mean, staying the same, even for a man in this situation, that's the easy, comfortable route. That, that, that's the path of least resistance. But change requires hard work. It requires sacrifice and surrender. Jesus can turn our fear into faith. Secondly, He restores our God-given identity. What is your name? Jesus asked this man. Because he recognized this man's own identity had been swallowed up by the demons that possessed him. His life was fractured into a legion of warring pieces. Now, a legion was anywhere between four and 6,000 Roman soldiers. So it's like this man had 5,000 demon soldiers waging war against his soul. What is your name? What is your identity? Aren't those questions that people still struggle with today? At the most fundamental levels. Now listen, I truly believe that there are demonic powers at work today, demons of chaos and confusion that are tearing at people's souls and causing them to question and rebel against their God-given identities as bearers of the divine image. An example of that today is what's called critical race theory. And one of its foundational principles called intersectionality. Now listen, critical race theory, CRT, is not scientific. It is a philosophical framework. It is a lens through which people try to interpret the world. Just like Christianity. But it has its own explanation for the source of evil. It has its own solution to the problem of evil. And both of those are antithesis to the gospel. In many ways, CRT and intersectionality have become like a secular religion that people have bought into to help explain the world and help them deal with the problems of evil. But I believe it to be a demonic belief system because the whole idea behind it is that you are not your own person. You are not a singular individual with free agency. No, you're a product of the system. And everything you do is because of the system. 
And your identity is not singular, it's multifaceted. That's the whole idea of intersectionality. There are these degrees of victimhood. There are oppressors and there are the oppressed. That's the source of evil. And, and you have degrees of victimhood, although most of the people in this room would, would be told that we're the oppressors. We don't have any degrees of victimhood. But they want to divide people up into these multifaceted identities. There's your sexual identity. There's your gender identity. There's your racial identity. There's your economic identity. Etc. and etc. and etc. Now, it's true. These are qualities of our background that can shape us. They can influence our perspectives, but they do not define us. Those things are not our identities. But as this has infiltrated academia, and it's infiltrated our corporations, and it's infiltrated our media, and it's infiltrated our government, and now it's infiltrating churches, this worldview that's the antithesis of the gospel, it's no wonder that we are seeing depression and addiction and suicide at unprecedented rates today. It's no wonder that families and communities are coming unglued. It's no wonder we're so divided against each other and filled with hate. As a society, we are like legion. Just like this demon-possessed man, this identity-confused man, thought that Jesus had come to torture him, so our culture feels threatened by Jesus. Amen? And cries out, Jesus, what do you want with me? I'll tell you what Jesus wants with us. Jesus came to restore our God-given identity as His children, as His image bearers, created as male and female, people created by God and for God to love Him, to know Him, and to live the way that He knows best for us to live. Jesus cast the demons out of this man, and in so doing, He brought this fractured and chaotic man true peace, shalom, well-being, and wholeness, just as Jesus wants to bring wholeness to our fractured selves and our chaotic world. <clears throat> and now no longer possessed and under the power and authority of thousands of Satan's soldiers, we find this man dressed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, a place of submission. He was saying he's no longer under the power and authority of Satan. He has come under the power and authority of Christ alone. Now, you don't have to have been demon-possessed for this man's story to resonate with you. All of us have felt fractured at times, haven't we? All of us have felt and acted like one person on Sunday, another person at work, another person at home, someone else with this group of friends. We all have these conflicting voices in our head telling us different things. We all have conflicting desires in our heart tempting us in different ways. Even Paul lamented this inner struggle that he had. He said, I know the right thing to do, yet I find myself doing the wrong thing. He called it a war within himself. The people of Corinth felt this way. Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 6, and he, he gives this list of sinners, all of these different kinds of sinners, but then he comes to verse 11. He says, And such were some of you, but no longer. Those past sins, those 
desires against God's will. They no longer define you. He says you've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have a new identity in Christ. In both Galatians and Colossians, Paul says, look, we shouldn't identify ourselves any longer by whether we're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. Those things don't define us anymore. The only thing that defines us is are you in Christ? Being in Christ is our identity and everything else about us, every quality, every characteristic, every life experience, every desire that we have, every perspective that we have must come under submission to our identity as being in Christ. That's what matters above all else. We must submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word and sit at the feet of Jesus because it's there that true freedom is found. It's there that we can have peace and confidence in who we are, created by God in His image, redeemed by Jesus and in Christ. Jesus came to restore our God-given identity. Third, Jesus frees us from the shackles of shame. This man was living out in the tombs and he was shackled. He had, he had chains dangling from his wrists and his ankles. He was shackled in shame. It was shameful to the Jewish people for, you know, to be running around naked. We need a little bit more of that today, don't we? Seriously, where is the shame today? Where is the shame? We live in a society full of people who flaunt all morals and absolute truths. They say that everything is relative. You do you. If it works for you, it's true. Do what feels right. Follow your heart. But I think we're worse off today than this poor man was because at least he knew shame. See, shame has a purpose. Shame makes us get honest with ourselves. Shame makes us come face to face with our condition. That we're sinners. That we're lost beyond all hope outside of Christ Jesus. It reminds us that we need a Savior. And Jesus did for this man what He came to do for us all. He took away His shame and now he's sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind with a renewed sense of what is good and true and decent and proper. Now notice this man was wearing broken chains. See, members of his community had tried to control him and they failed. You know, perhaps it started out of a good heart. His family and his friends knew that he was cutting himself, doing all these terrible things. And so maybe they tried to tie him up to protect him from himself. But those... Acts of compassion turned into acts of control. And eventually the people realized they couldn't control him and so they just abandoned him. Out of sight, out of mind, it's better just to ignore him. That's what our society has done. We have denied the very reality of sin. We've rejected an absolute moral standard because we believe that we have it all under control. All of our dark, selfish impulses is under lock and key. We're good. We don't need to think about it. We don't need to talk about it. We hear it from addicts all the time. I can quit whenever I want. It's not a problem. But they're not the only ones who are running around with broken chains on their hands and feet. Our failed attempts to do what only Jesus Christ can do. Listen, all the self-help books in the world, all the religions in the world, they're like broken chains. They can never do what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can forgive your sins. Only Jesus can remove your guilt and shame. Only Jesus can make you new. Only Jesus can raise the dead to life. Only Jesus can give you a new identity. 
a new creation in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone, the new is here. Jesus wants to remove the shackles of shame from your hands and feet. And finally, Jesus can deliver us from the demonic by welcoming us into a new community. Again, this man had lived among the tombs, isolated, cut off from society, abandoned from his family and friends. It's ironic. He was alone, but he wasn't alone. He had thousands of demons living inside of him. That's no coincidence. God created us for community, right? And when we remove ourselves from community, when we fail to let people speak God's truth into our lives, that's when the lies of Satan can take root. We need other Christians. There's strength in numbers. Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. We need each other. And we don't ever need to write somebody off. So never give up on somebody as a lost cause. Don't abandon them, but also don't try to control them and fix them yourself. That doesn't work either. So what do we do? We pray for them. We love them. We speak God's truth to them in love. We bring them to Jesus and let Jesus change them from the inside out. As Peter continued in 1 Peter 5, 9, he said, resist the devil, stand firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We don't stand alone. We stand arm in arm with the fellow soldiers of the cross fighting the good fight. We don't run the race alone. We run the race together. When we meet Jesus, when we experience this radical life change, He brings us into a new family of faith, a community of believers who can stand there with us and help us stand firm against the devil. And then what does Jesus finally do? He sends this man on a mission. He sends this man to the rest of the Gentile area around him to tell what Jesus has done for him. And notice, he doesn't let the man come with him. He sends the man to those people who knew him before because his story will have the greatest impact on those who knew him before. And and that's a merciful thing. If the man had come with Jesus, he would have been sensational, right? And he would have had to relive the story, the horror of this demon-possessed past Time and again, oh, it would have drawn the crowds. But Jesus isn't interested in us being sensational. He wants us to be relational. And so He sends the man to those who knew Him best, not to have to relive the story of His past, but so He could focus on the present reality of what Jesus has done in His life. The same is true for us. We don't have to relive all the horrors of our sinful past. We just simply focus on Jesus. And tell people the difference that he's made. Now next week we're going to look at two more of these miraculous road signs. Pointing us to the power of God's kingdom. But for today, consider the dangers that you face. The natural dangers and the spiritual dangers. The outer storms and the inner storms. That maybe you're dealing with today. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? Like the disciples, are you afraid of the dangerous storm around you? Or will you turn your fear over to Jesus and let Him replace it with faith? Will you rest in His promises to you? Will you rest in His presence with you? Will you rest in His power at work through you to deliver you through whatever dangerous storm you may be facing? Maybe like the demon-possessed man and the townspeople, you're afraid of Jesus. 
You're afraid of what He might ask of you. You're afraid of the sacrifices you might have to make. You're afraid of the changes that He might bring in your life. You're afraid to surrender yourself to Him. If that's you, I pray you won't reject Jesus. I pray you don't be like the townspeople and ask Him to leave. I pray instead you'd be like the disciples, be like that man, surrender to Jesus. Give your heart and your life to Him today. Let Him turn your fear into faith. Let Him restore your God-given identity and heal your fractured soul. Let Him remove the shackles of shame and forgive your sins. And listen, we as a church at First Baptist, we're not perfect. If anybody in here is perfect, let me see you raise your hand. Good, I don't see any hands raised. Because we're not perfect people. But listen, this church wants to be a community that is safe for you to come and explore the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place that can stand with you and help you resist the devil's lies. A place of truth. A place of forgiveness. A place of love. You don't have to stand outside among the tombs and in the dead-end valleys of life in this world. Come home to the Father and be a part of His family. And then join us in the mission to tell other people the good news of how Jesus has changed our lives. Listen, I don't know how God's Spirit has taken this message and spoken to you today, but I pray that He's convicted you of your fear, of your fractured self, of the misplaced identities, of the lies of this world that you've bought into, whatever God has said to you today. I pray you'll come. Come and turn your fear over to Jesus. Let Him give you faith. Come and turn yourself over to Jesus. Let Him make you new. Come today and let Him remove the shackles of shame and guilt. Put your faith and trust in the One who is with you in the storm right now. And if God is calling you to become a part of this family of faith, this new community of Christ, I invite you to come. Would you stand and pray with me? And come as we sing, Father, thank You for Your immense power. Power that comes from a heart of love. Power that is fearsome, yes, because You breathe out stars. You snap Your fingers and mountains are born. You're the God who commands the wind and the waves and can cast demons out of people. But You use Your power for Your glory and for our good. And You long for us to know You and to love You and to experience the blessings of Your kingdom. If there's anybody here today that needs to turn from sin and trust in Jesus, if there's anybody here today that needs to come and lay their fractured soul at Your feet and be healed, if there's anybody that needs to come today and unite with this family of faith, I ask that You would give them the courage and the boldness and the urgency to act today, right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.